0: You know, forgiveness seems to be becoming a, a bad word in our culture today. To forgive someone is seen as a sign of weakness or a, a failure to hold someone truly accountable for their actions. Whatever offense they've committed in the late Tim Keller's book on forgiveness, he writes about an observation that a New York Times author named Elizabeth Bruning made about our current culture. Here's what she tweeted. There's just something unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness, Now, when she posted that tweet, it caused a lot of backlash. And later, she was interviewed about this observation that she made. And Here's what she said. I see in American culture how offended people seem by the very idea of forgiveness itself. They seem to find forgiveness immoral. And I think that's very disturbing. It seems like in our culture today, when someone offends us, we want them to pay and keep on paying. Let me give you a for instance. Let's say that I go to a coffee shop and the guy, the barista working at the coffee shop, gets my order wrong. Which is saying something because I don't drink coffee. I usually just drink tea. Let's just say that that simple order he got wrong. Typically, in our culture today, it's, it's come to the point where it's not enough for him just to fix my drink and offer an apology. No, I want more. I want to speak with the manager. I want to contact corporate and make sure this whole team is reprimanded for their failure to get my drink right. I want to go online and post something on social media. I want to bomb their Yelp page. I want to make sure everyone in this area who Googles this particular coffee shop knows the mistake they made and how they can't even get one order of tea right. Now, it sounds silly, but also there's a ring of truth to it. isn't there? We see this happening in our culture when people offend us, when they hurt us. There's a part of us that really wants them to pay and keep on paying to a level where the response, what they get, is greater than their offense toward us. And yet, following Christ calls us to a very different kind of response in the face of offense. Following Christ calls us to forgiveness. Forgiveness. So here's the question, church, when do we forgive? And perhaps more importantly, how do we forgive in a way that brings honor and glory to God? These are important questions because at some point in our lives, all of us will need forgiveness. At some point in our lives, all of us will need to extend Forgiveness, because we are broken and fallen people who live in a broken and fallen world. And if we fail to truly understand the biblical call and the path to forgiveness, we will be in trouble as a people, as a church, certainly as a society. The people of God are called to extend forgiveness because of the forgiveness we have received. That's a, a clear biblical truth that we as a people are called to extend forgiveness because we have been forgiven. We are to forgive following the the path of forgiveness outlined in scripture because forgiveness is right and there is a right way to do it so that restoration, reconciliation truly takes place. Hear me, church. We cannot walk faithfully as followers of Jesus without extending God-honoring forgiveness. The phrase, I will never forgive you, should never come out of a Christian's mouth because they do not align. They don't align. We cannot walk in meaningful relationship either with God or with one another without forgiveness. In Joseph's story, the story of Joseph that we've been looking at in, in the book of Genesis helps to illustrate this for us. We're going to begin in Genesis 44, a chapter that ends with a surprising development that we talked about briefly last week. Judah, Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, offers himself in the place of his other brother, Benjamin. You may remember that Joseph in his final test that he gives to his brother, brothers orchestrates a situation where Benjamin would be forced to stay behind as Joseph's servant because Joseph placed his cup in Benjamin's sack and accused Benjamin of stealing it. His brothers would return home, but Benjamin would have to stay. But Judah, in response to this situation, does exactly what he promised his father he would do. He boldly approaches Joseph, not knowing yet who Joseph is or how it happens that the cup ended up in Benjamin's bag. But he pleads for mercy from Joseph. And he offers himself, surprisingly, in the face of this situation and the place of his brother. Let's read verses 24 to 34 of Genesis 44. Judah approaching Joseph recounts a conversation that he had with his father, Jacob. He says, we went back to your servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord the first time that we came here. When our father said, go again, buy a little food, we said to him, we can't go down. If our youngest brother does not go back with us, it'll be pointless. He must come. If he comes, then we'll go down. For we cannot see this man's face unless our younger brother is with us. That was his command." Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore two sons to me. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I came, or I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant, Judah, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you for all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy, instead of Benjamin as a servant to you. Let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear, I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Even though Judah's account doesn't tell everything that happens, there's still a change that Joseph is evidencing in his brother. And Joseph is moved by the display of sacrifice from Judah that he sees. He becomes emotional. He starts ugly crying to the point where everybody in his house, everybody in Pharaoh's house, hears him wailing. He sends all the Egyptians out of the room and the moment finally comes for Joseph to reveal to his brothers who he is. And so in chapter 45, verse 3, we see him tell them, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Now, of course, these brothers, the ten who betrayed Jesus, or Joseph, are dismayed. How could they not be? This moment of, of revelation has had a, a a double effect, some striking elements at play. Certainly, they are now seeing who Joseph really is. This man who's been talking to them in Egyptian, who's been understanding them, they think through an interpreter, suddenly starts talking to them in their own language. This man who's been treating them callously, who imprisoned their brother, who's been threatening to keep Benjamin as his servant. The guy who's the second in command of the most powerful nation on the planet is claiming to be Joseph. That's a striking revelation as Joseph reveals himself. But Joseph's revelation of himself also says something to the brothers. Because in Joseph revealing himself, he's also revealing some things about them. As they remember what they did to Joseph. As they remember their betrayal. And the fact that Joseph could do something devastating to them right now if he desired. They know what they deserve. And they know what Joseph can do. But in a profound moment of grace, Joseph offers something different. He doesn't give them what they deserve. He gives them something greater. He gives them forgiveness. Look at Genesis 45, verses 4 to 15. Joseph says to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you did sell me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five years left in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant, to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all of his house, ruler over all the land. So hurry, go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph God has made him Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, don't tarry. You will dwell in the land of Goshen, and you will be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household, all that you have, do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see. The eyes of my brother Benjamin see that this is, it's my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, all that you have seen. Hurry, bring him down here. And then Joseph fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all of his brother's. And he wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Can we just consider for a moment, church family, the opportunity for revenge that Joseph has in this moment? We know what Joseph's brothers have caused in his life. He was betrayed, sold into slavery, the victim of gross injustice, and forgotten in prison. Few people have ever experienced betrayal like Joseph. And it's not just the events of the betrayal that were hurtful. It's also the timeline, 20 years between when he was betrayed and when he was brought before Pharaoh. Striking. More than that, few people who are betrayed at this level have ever had the opportunity to do something about it have ever been positioned to take revenge on those who persecuted them. And yet, even though Joseph could have inflicted more pain on his brothers than they caused him, even though he could have caused them to suffer greatly, which by the way, they deserved, he does something different. He forgives them. He releases them from their distress, and he calls them close to himself. While the the brother's initial reaction to Joseph's revelation was one of fear. Joseph immediately settles their fear by offering them forgiveness, a forgiveness that touches every part of the offense. Here's how Alistair Begg talks about the forgiveness that Joseph offers in his book on Joseph. Here's what he writes. Joseph forgave not in word only, but also in deed. Consider what he did for the brothers who had mistreated him so cruelly. Joseph's brothers had driven him as far away from them as they could. But when it was his turn to be in control, we see in Genesis 45, verse 4, that Joseph says, come close to me. Joseph's brothers had sent him off as a captive to Egypt on the back of a mangy camel. But Joseph, in chapter 45, gives his brothers fine Egyptian carts for their journey home. Joseph's brothers were willing to leave him to die of thirst and starvation in the pit. But when he sends them back to Canaan, he gives them provisions. Joseph's brothers had torn his clothes off. But in Genesis 45, Joseph gives his brothers new clothes. Joseph's brothers had sold him for money, but now he gives Benjamin 300 shekels of silver. Joseph even gave his brothers wise counsel as they went back home. Don't quarrel along the way in 45 verse 24. Do you see what's happening here? Joseph returned their every evil, cruel, and merciless act with goodness, kindness, and mercy. Centuries before Paul's words were ever written, Joseph was a living illustration of the admonition. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a picture, a stunning picture of forgiveness we see in the life of Joseph. It's both challenging and inspiring. And it should have an effect on our lives as we will get to in a minute. Before we get to us, I want us to see how this story is preparing us for the greater story of Jesus. Because as great as Joseph's forgiveness is, Jesus's is greater. And by the way, it directly affects us. Think about this. At one point in our history, in our sinfulness, we were blinded to who Jesus is. And yet, And a wonderful display of his mercy and grace, Jesus has made himself known to us. And that revelation is two sided. Yes, we got to behold Jesus in all of his glory as the Son, we get to behold him in his fullness. But as we Learn more about Jesus in his revelation. We also learn more about ourselves. We remember the fact that, as glorious as he is, we rejected him, we sinned against him, and he has the power, he has the rights to bring justice. Upon us. And yet, as we set in our fear and that moment of revelation, Jesus did not let us stay far off. He called us to come close. He invites us to come to Him, all who are weary and heavy laden, so that He can give us Rest so that he can offer us forgiveness if we call upon him for that forgiveness. And the forgiveness that he offers is comprehensive. Friends, it touches every level of our offense. I want you to hear me this morning. There's not a sin in your life that the blood of Christ does not cover when you call on him to. In Jesus, we have been forgiven and restored more than that, brought into a new. Land of blessing with our family of faith. Hear the gospel message this morning, echoing, radiating from the story of Joseph. Jesus was betrayed in greater ways than Joseph. Jesus has more power to act on that betrayal than Joseph. And yet, Jesus has willingly offered an even greater forgiveness. He's offered himself as substitute to all those who repent and believe in him unto salvation. What a God we serve. What a glorious Savior we serve. May we never get over, church family, how much we have been forgiven in Christ. And that forgiveness should affect us. The forgiveness that we have experienced, that we've been given in Jesus, it calls us, demands us to walk in forgiveness ourselves. So let's look again at the example of Joseph in light of the work of Jesus and consider how to walk in forgiveness. We know why we must forgive because we have been forgiven. But how do we do this? How do we walk in forgiveness in a way that that honors and glorifies God? Because I think the path to forgiveness that is offered here in Genesis 45 is the the biblical path of forgiveness that is taught over and over in scripture. In fact, you could teach the same lesson from Matthew chapter 18. So how can we walk in forgiveness? And I do want to specifically focus on our relationships inside the church. As as Christians, as believers, how can we walk in forgiveness with one another as a testimony to others? But I think you'll also find that the, the path that is true for us internally in the church also works outside the church. The first step in the path to forgiveness we see in the life of Joseph is that Joseph addresses those who offended him. He addresses those who offended him. Joseph calls his brothers to himself and he speaks directly to them. Notice in the first part of chapter 45 in verses one and four, when the, the time of revelation comes, when Joseph is ready to reveal himself to his brothers, he does not speak through a translator. He speaks to them directly and he does not speak in front of a crowd. He only addresses the ones who offended him, just to his brothers, because they were the ones who needed to engage in this process. And for there to be any true possibility of forgiveness, they had to talk. I want you to hear the encouragement from Scripture here, church family. It does not do you any good when you are offended to stew in silence, It doesn't do you any good to talk about it with all of your friends or your family to disparage the one who offended you. It doesn't do you any good to blog about your experience online or post something on your social media feeds. That actually adds to the offense and causes more to be corrected later. Think about this. Think about if Joseph had unveiled everything his brothers did in front of all the people who serve him, who are grateful to him because they saved He saved their lives. Do you think that the Egyptian army around him would have felt tempted to take matters into their own hands when they heard that his brothers betrayed him? They would be on his side? It would take more to correct if more people were involved, and that's why Joseph speaks to them directly. The only way we are going to be able to walk in forgiveness is to speak directly to the person or persons who caused the offense. We are to go to them one-on-one as a first step. If needed, we can bring others. Godly counsel as set forth in Matthew 18, but a conversation must take place. Let me also say this. If you are the offended party, take the lead from Jesus here who even though he was the offended party, did not wait for us to come to him, but came to us. Sometimes we sit back and we think, well, they are the ones who, who messed up. They're the ones who offended me. It's their responsibility to come to us. But if our goal is to walk in forgiveness, then let's take that first step to make sure that God is being honored in the way that we relate to one another. Joseph speaks to those directly who offended him. And secondly, Joseph clearly articulates the offense. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 45. He says to his brothers, come, come near. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me in to Egypt. When Joseph begins to articulate his intentions as he is revealing himself. He does not beat around the bush or diminish his language as he brings up the offense. He speaks plainly, truthfully. He clearly identifies what has brought about the brokenness in their relationship. There are no half-truths. He did not exaggerate. He did not lessen. He simply speaks straightforwardly the truth. And in order for us to walk in forgiveness, the actual offense that has caused the break in relationship must be identified and agreed upon. And I would even say this, if you've been offended, but you can't yet clearly articulate why you are offended, you're probably not ready to have a conversation. And this would be a good place for you to bring in godly counsel. Not to pour on the one who offended you, but to help you come to an understanding of what it is that has caused the offense so that then you can articulate it. But then once you've come to that, once you've been able to figure out what the source of offense is, then go to that person with a desire for restoration and speak it plainly. No clouded language, no exaggeration. You always do this. You never do this. No, talk about this offense because we wanna give our brothers and sisters an opportunity to respond in a God-honoring way. And we need to speak the truth in love for that opportunity to be given. So Joseph speaks to those who offended him. He articulates the offense and then he releases them from their guilt. Joseph sees something with God's help that the brothers cannot see. God has given Joseph a unique perspective He gave him dreams that told him this day was coming. And Joseph has been able to overhear conversations among his brothers that they did not think he could understand. Remember in chapter 42, verses 21 to 22, when the brothers are confessing that all of this hardship, difficulty is coming because of what they did to Joseph. He hears them expressing guilt. He hears them expressing remorse for what they had done. So God allows him to have a unique perspective, and Joseph knows that this moment is greater than just something happening between him and his brothers. No, God has positioned him in this moment for their good, for his family's good, and for the good of the nations. And church family, our commitment to forgiveness must be rooted in a a God-sized perspective. It must be rooted in gospel perspective. When those moments, when forgiveness is needed, when when restoration is needed, we must remember the truth of Scripture, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And it's only through his blood that we have forgiveness and the redemption of our sins. When we come to a difficult conversation like these, We must remember the gospel. We must remember that God is always working and something greater than just our even interpersonal relationship is at stake. The honor of God is at stake. And this could be a moment where God wants to teach us something, wants to teach me as the offended party, wants to teach the other person as the one who offended something about his grace, something about his gospel that he can redeem and use For his glory. And then finally, as Joseph releases them from their guilt, he seeks to walk in a restored relationship. And this, to me, is the most beautiful part of the story. Joseph doesn't just say, You're forgiven, he doesn't just release them from their feelings of guilt, their feelings of shame. He does more. He calls his brothers close. He embraces them. He kisses them. He talks to them. Even more incredibly, he seeks to bless them. He he wants to bless them greater than they offended him. He, He wants to invite the whole family with Pharaoh's blessing to come and live in the best land that Egypt has to offer. Do you remember this in verses 9 to 15? We read earlier from Genesis 45. Hurry, go to my father, say to him, this is what your your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down, don't hurry. You're gonna dwell in the best land that we have to offer in Goshen and you're gonna be near to me. Your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, they're gonna have all that you need because I will provide for you. I will provide for you. You will not come to poverty because of what God has done in my life. Friends, the goal of forgiveness, the goal of forgiveness is always restoration, reconciliation. We want to walk in right relationship with God and with others as a testimony to the gospel. The goal of forgiveness or a conversation that, you hope leads to forgiveness, is not simply to validate our offense. Finally, at least you acknowledge what you did. Is that to prove that we were right to be offended? Is that to provide an opportunity for us to extract a little bit of revenge from some carefully calculated words and a great comeback? The goal is to walk forward in reconciled relationship for the glory of God. To walk away with the goal of out blessing each other, of doing good to the other, because what could be more God honoring than that? And hear me, if that is not the goal, you're not ready for the conversation. So pray that God would help you be ready with that being the goal. But listen, I know I want to acknowledge because we live in a broken and fallen world that true restoration may not be possible on this side of heaven. It's the goal, but restoration, reconciliation, it may not be fully possible on this side of heaven because there are some offenses that are so grievous that the consequence lingers, especially if there are legal issues involved. And so if someone is dangerous to you or to others, there may be a limit to how much that relationship can be stored depending on the offense But our goal, our goal should be forgiveness. Our goal should be restoration. And when that's not possible, it should direct our hearts toward heaven, toward the hereafter, when we will live in perfect fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and perfect fellowship with one another, where peace, set rightness will rule for all eternity. But until that day, let's try to give a little taste of heaven on earth. Let's try to give a little taste of the gospel on display by living and walking in forgiveness as the people of God. That's the expectation. Because every time we walk in forgiveness, every time we choose to walk in forgiveness, we are proclaiming the work of Christ. I must, I must forgive because of what God through Christ Has forgiven me of. So let me ask you this question this morning. As we think about the incredible forgiveness of Jesus that Joseph's forgiveness points us to, have you experienced this forgiveness? Have you accepted it? The most important relationship you will ever have in your life is your relationship between you and God. And that relationship was broken because of our sin. And the only way for you to be reconciled to God is in Jesus. To call upon him for forgiveness and to receive it through his sacrifice. If that relationship between you and God is not corrected, no other relationship will be right. But if that one is corrected, every other one around you can be as well. So have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you accepted the forgiveness that he offers to be restored to right relationship with God? now and for all of eternity? If not, then let today be the day of your salvation when you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Let today be the day when you repent of your sin and you turn to Jesus alone for salvation. In just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here at the front. We would love for you to experience the forgiveness that is only found in Christ. We would love to help you walk toward that as a response to the preached word today. Have you experienced Have you accepted the incredible forgiveness of Jesus? If you have, then let me ask you this question. Are you walking in forgiveness? Is there an offense that needs to be addressed? Have you offended someone and you know you need to deal with it? Have you been offended by someone and the Holy Spirit is prompting you to say, hey, we need to get this right? Is there a relationship that needs to be restored in your life? Can you step, as the Bible directs, can you walk down this path of restoration to speak to this person with a love in your heart? The goal of restoration there, can you speak truthfully, clearly, and can you offer forgiveness? If we want to look like Jesus, we must. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond today again. We'd love for you to step into the forgiveness of Jesus. Now's the time to come and let us pray with you. If you experience that forgiveness, are you extending it? Are you walking in it? Do you need to show someone forgiveness today. Maybe the Lord's prompting something in your heart, in your family, in your church family. Oh, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus would be displayed as we extend forgiveness because of the way that God in Christ has forgiven us. Father, would you help us be a more faithful and unified people because of our time before your word today. Move amongst us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.